0: You. Woo, woo,
1: woo. Small don't help from the hip. Small don't say, talking that shit. Small don't say, and keeping it real. Small don't say, me and Seals. So funky. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to. Another episode of Small Doses. This one is long overdue. It was long overdue when we met in person. Now it's long overdue that we're on the pod. Today we have writer extraordinaire, creator, and showrunner Courtney Kemp, creator of the Power Universe. Not, the, not just the show, not this just the show, the universe, which, you know, that's quite a feat.
0: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. As you well know, I am a gigantic fan of yours, like uh, both in uh, stature and in, uh, <laughs> in devotion. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> devotion. Um, ditto. You know, me and Courtney, we had like. DM'd and DM'd and DM'd and then finally I was like we should like actually like meet in person and then we sat down and very quickly identified like oh we are on the same dimensional plane mm-hmm. which is very comforting particularly I think in this town that we're sure. in and you know in that one lunch you dropped many a gem
0: Oh gosh I don't even remember
1: <laughs> you dropped many a gem And particularly two of them have been incredibly helpful in my being a developing producer on another level because I've been very DIY. I mean, I've I've produced my own stuff DIY, but at present I am in transition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the ropes, uh, one has to learn them.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes.
1: And you have really successfully managed to crack the code for yourself in terms of creating content that is like what you want to do, which I think is not always the case, right? Like some people might be getting shows sold, but it ain't really like shit they actually care about. They're just like, ah, I'm just getting a check or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also a component in there, and that's what we're going to talk about today, of being a showrunner. And so, I feel like we're in this era where, like, TV and movies and, like, the entertainment business, like, isn't as far away from folks as it used to be. That is true. It's a lot more accessible in terms of, like, the internets and just, like, the amount of content that people have access to and the way they have access to it, etc. So, in that, people have a lot more to say about shit, but they don't necessarily know about shit.
0: And... (laughs) You know you're speaking my language. You know I have have a multitude of feelings about this, uh, especially when being accused of like murdering people who are still alive and walking around. I mean, I have had people. I'll just go back to like Reina, season four. How could you kill that little girl? Doncay is fine. She's fine. She, I I wrote one of her references for college. She's she's fine. Great. She's fine. She got up. You know what I mean? She took those clothes <laughs> off. She went home. She took a shower. Like, mm-hmm. but yeah. I mean, as, she does as, cooking videos on Instagram. Like, she's great. She's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful kid. Also, a really lovely human mm-hmm. being. So yeah. But but yeah, for sure. I mean, I I think one of the things that I would definitely say that I have experienced and kind of did not see coming because I didn't, you know, obviously when you start writing something, I was 35, I had a two-year-old. And so I was like, um, I hope this show gets on the air. And like spiritually, I'm someone who believes in like the next right action and just take the next right step. So I well, never, uh, uh, uh. yes. Expound, expound.
1: Okay. I told you she drops gems. Okay. So, so what I mean by that is. You dressed up as an emerald today. I
0: did. I did. I'm born in May. This <laughs> is my birthstone. Get into it. I'm into um, it. But I actually really feel like a lot of times people will say to me, I want my own show on TV. That's what I want. I want my own show on TV. And I'm like, okay, so what are you doing? And they're like, well, I wrote a script. And I'm like, okay. Mm, okay. So are you studying? Are you watching a lot of shows? Are you reading scripts? Because people don't understand that like writing a script, scripts are their own art form. That's why there's a different category. It's called best screenplay. Mm -hmm. Screenplay and the movie are not the same thing. The teleplay and the TV show are not the same thing. If you want your own show, you need to learn how to write a script, not to like come up with an idea for a show. That's the first thing you Mm -hmm. need to actually write how many different specs do you have? Like if I come to you and I say, Hey, Amanda, there's a job open on this show. Not that you want to write for any of my TV shows, but let's say you did. And you were like, well, I've got all these comedy specs. I'd be like, well, that's great, but I can't hire you off of that. You got a one hour I can read. And if you're like, I don't, I'm like, well, I like you. Nice person.
1: You want to be a PA?
0: Yeah, totally. I'm like, I'm like <laughs> let me call somebody else who's a friend of mine. Like I'll call Robin Thede and be like, you should check her out. But like, if you want to work for me and you come to me, I've had multiple people, literally, I'm not joking. I've had multiple people and they were non-black, which is one of my favorite phrases, but I've had people interview to work for me and say, Oh yeah, I've never watched power. Don't come to my show and not have watched power. That's Okay. But I have a lot why of people Why would they? What is, what? because they wanted a script coordinating job or they wanted a job, whatever it was. But there's but the why flip would side. you even say that? Because people don't prepare. They don't do the homework. The flip side of it is I have had young people come to me and say, oh, all I want to do is write on power. I want to get my own show on the air. I just want to like, write for you on power. And I'll be like, OK, great. What are the other shows you like? And when you say love and hip hop to me, I say, and we're done. I wasn't asking you about reality. What have you been studying? If you don't come to me and say something about the wire, homicide, do you know what I mean? Like if you don't understand the, the genre, the genre and the history of where we are, like I don't, I don't want that. I want you to love television, love it, breathe it, write it, be it. And so I say all that to say the next right action, what's the next step? Right now, I'm developing a pilot at Netflix. I'm writing the outline. I have index cards. I'm putting them into a, like, I have thumbtacks and I'm putting them into a corkboard, just like everybody does. Basic stuff. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm doing the basic stuff. The next right action, just keep going up the hill. If you say to yourself every day, I want my own TV show. Well, I don't know that that's going to happen. But if you say to yourself, I'm going to write a paragraph of this outline today, you will get that done. And then the outline will be done. And then the script will be done and then you'll be closer to your goal. That's what I mean.
1: I needed to hear that today.
0: <laughs> I'm glad I was helpful. I, uh, I do I, try.
1: I needed to hear that today, Courtney Kemp.
0: <laughs> Pastor Kemp. Listen, don't get me started. I will testify. I come from a long line of uh, mouthy people. So
1: <laughs> Because I spent the last 48 hours editing a sizzle that I was the only one who could edit. Because the project is so close to me, sure, that I had to like I've lived it, so I had to edit it, right? sure. And you finish it, and I'm like, damn, I put so much into this sizzle, I felt like I did the show. <laughs> and then I had to be like, bitch, you didn't do the show, the show ain't sold yet.
0: No, no, but you took what? the right we action. Took the yeah. right action. <laughs> Listen, and this is the thing, and the sizzle's done, and it's what you want it to be, because there's nothing worse than also skipping steps and then realizing, oh snap. That did not work out.
1: And I always tell people, you cannot skip steps, but you can speed them up.
0: Yes, you can. And you also have to not be a complete asshole, motherfucker, you know, dick stain while you're working your way up because you will not... It's not cool. (laughs) Like when you... (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, first of all that, preach. Be nice to people you you meet your way up because you will meet them on your way down. Yes. That is true. But the other thing is, and you aren't going to be nice to everybody. There are a lot of people out there who are like, fuck Courtney. And I'm like, I understand. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but but what I mean is if you have a goal and you say every day, the goal is the most important thing. And then I will turn to my family or I will love my kids later. I will love my spouse later. I will love you know other people later. I will be present in my other relationships later. You may end up with that success, but it will be empty. There will be no one to call when good things happen. So you just need to keep that in mind, too, that, like, the reason the steps are small sometimes is that you also you need have to, to make like, room. Yeah. You might need to, you know, have sex, make a sandwich. I mean, like, under my titties is sweaty
1: right now because... <laughs> I had to take the 15 minutes between the last thing I did and this podcast to go run with my dog, like to go run Jordi around. And yes. now and now he's here conked out because we ran.
0: Yes, <laughs> but good for you. And so then you have energy and like it's for the next thing. And like, I just, I don't know. It's so it's, that's something that has shifted since I became a showrunner is that I realized yeah. that putting my all into the shows actually is not what's best for me as a person, as a human.
1: And let me tell you, I mean, not let me tell you, but audience, like the job of a showrunner, as you will hear over the course of this conversation, oftentimes the expectation is that this is all you're going to do. And this is all that matters. And that, you know, this is the pinnacle of your existence. And I always tell people when we're in TV, This is PR, not ER. Mm -hmm. No one's going to die.
0: We like to call it in my house, entertainment emergency. What's an Like, it's not an emergency. It's an entertainment emergency. Do you know what I'm saying? It's an entertainment emergency. So it's like, like, but I left word. So what? Like, and it's not, it's, I mean, I I got great advice um, years ago from Glenn Mazzara amazing, excellent showrunner. And he said that it's not a crisis unless a person you can't shoot. There's no such thing as a crisis unless you literally can't roll camera. And it's so smart. Inability to roll camera, that is a crisis. Everything else is nonsense. So you're on set and an actor won't come out of his or her or their trailer and you need to shoot and you're going to lose the light or you're going to lose the location or whatever. That's a crisis everything else is a non-crisis. And I think that's like, that's the greatest advice.
1: Was being a showrunner always the path? Because I know at one point I thought, I'm going to be a showrunner. And then I learned what showrunners do. And I was like, I don't ever, ever want to be a showrunner.
0: I don't remember whose quote this is, but there are two quotes I want to give the audience right now for those people who want to showrun. And it is this, okay? Showrunning is a pie-eating contest where the prize is more pie. Okay, that's the yeah. first quote. The second one is showrunning is being strangled to death by your own dream. Ooh, yeah. Okay, but this is important because all those kids were like, I want my own show. It's like, no, you think you want your own show. You have to figure out if you want to give a hundred percent of yourself and what you're willing to lose. In my case, and I say this publicly, I lost my marriage. I got to a point where I could, there were three things I needed to be a showrunner, a mom, and a wife. And I couldn't be a wife anymore. I couldn't do all three of those. What part of it was the couldn't? Like there wasn't enough time or was it
1: just like, I'm so good at my work life, but I'm not good at my love life. And I really can't figure out how to be good at my love life right now. Cause I'm really immersed in this, in this work life.
0: No, I, no shade to my ex-husband. And in a really clean way, what it was, was the person he married was smaller and more, um, I mean, Kevin Samuels would really like that version of me. Let's just call it what that is. I don't know her. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Gowns, beautiful gowns, gowns, Dude. beautiful gowns, gowns. But She doesn't just, have the range. <laughs> but just, yeah, damn. But just the idea that like, I was able to be home and cook dinner and clean and do other things. And I was that version of myself. And then when you get to, when I was show running and I'm like, I got to call 50 cent because like these people are about to actually fight on set or like I got to deal with the network. or I got to deal with the studio or I got to call, yeah. call Fitty. Fitty. Like, I got to call I Exactly. Or I've got to like, I've got to, I'm the lone female and I'm using that word specifically. I'm the lone female in a ton of men. Okay. And all these men have male egos and stuff that I have to work out And I have to like really be the one who's answering the question at the end of the day, because I always say show running is following your own North star. You have to look at yourself as the guide, right? You have to feel against your own branches for moss to see which side you're supposed to go to lead yourself out of the the problem and the mess. And I know that's complicated, but it really is real. And so once I became- made my
1: sternum concave. Uh, Listen, man,
0: it is what it is. Because I don't think people grasp
1: what you just said about the mouse. Oh, okay. Should I? I Can you please? Because if we don't understand the reference in the metaphor, we can't apply the metaphor.
0: This is true. But as someone who understood the metaphor, you know what I'm saying, which is that... So slaves, runaway slaves uh, on their way to the North would feel on the sides of trees and the moss grew on the North side. So that was the way they knew. And it was in the dark. You could feel for the, the tree in the dark. It's moss. That's how God, God led us out. Right. And this is my own, you know, I use the word God, people use other things, but like that moss growing on the North side led people to freedom. And what I'm saying is, Again, in show running, sometimes you're in the dark and you don't know which way to go and unfortunately, you are the tree. There is no other place to look for. You it, you are your own star. I starter. just
1: like you so much.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I like you too. I be like you go grow. It's true. And so I could not and I mean again, this is a larger conversation about women and power small p. And how we do it. Yeah, pushing P, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But just the idea that like, I could not tell a whole bunch of people to do, I could not run a company. And what I mean by company is like 300 people, you know, rigging and trucks and all the things. I couldn't do that. And then come home, like fly home for the weekend and become smaller again. I did not know how to do that. It was, I couldn't be two different people. I was splitting.
1: Do you think there's a perspective shift around that that happens? I think- to that point, some might appreciate, like, when I come home, I'm not super Courtney. Like, I can take my cape off. But I also think there's a certain kind of partner that understands that, like, you're coming home from that outside world to this. And this is safe haven, not this is, like, tiny house. Because I feel like I definitely have had that mindset of like, I can't be everything to everyone at all times. And it's taken a lot of perspective change, you know, and they do say, I always say this because it's from a book called A Course on Miracles. And they say, a miracle is a change in perspective. Mm -hmm. And like, it can be like this gateway. And I just wonder if there's anything to not necessarily seeing it as two different people, but maybe seeing it as two different spaces that call for different strengths.
0: I would say that I may not have been mature enough to be able to look at it that way. Um, I was so overwhelming and the show was getting bigger and bigger. And the pressure of that. And then, you know, and then I will also say, I got to give my ex-husband a ton of credit because I went to New York and he was at home with like a two and a half year old basically. And he was just doing all of that by himself. And so when I came home at the end of the first year and I said, I don't want to do it anymore. I wanted to quit what people don't know is that there were two times in the history of power that I was going to quit. One is the end of season one and one was the end of season four. And at the end of season one, I was like, I, I I, I don't want to do this because I I don't feel like there's going to be a marriage here if I keep doing it. And my ex said, but if we don't keep going, what did we do it for? And it's, I mean, like no shade. He was like, I don't, what are we doing this for? What am I here alone with this kid for? Like, what are we not together for if we don't see this through? Which was a perspective. And by the way, this is what happened. We were both right. This is what happened. We were both right.
1: My therapist has said that. But she's like, you know, have you ever considered that both of you all can be right? And you're like, what?
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I'm a Taurus, so I'm right all the time. But he, I think. But we were both right. I knew the marriage could not sustain because I knew what was happening inside me that I couldn't Articulate yet. Yeah. Right. But he was right that giving up after one season, eight episodes, wasn't the right idea. The unfortunate thing is that we were both right. That's the thing that was unfortunate is that we couldn't do all of it at once. And it just, but that's me. That's my story. And I was fortunate enough to be married to someone who did believe in my talent. That's the other thing is that sometimes people don't believe in your talent. Like I have a friend whose boyfriend broke up with her. She had a really great career, like a very straight career. And she left that career to become a writer. And he was like, nah, nah. What I, is he? I'm, what is he? An immigrant parent? What? No, I don't know. You know what? He, he wanted what he wanted. And I think that's also the other thing is that sometimes people, they expect the thing that they bought to say the thing that they bought. And so anyway, he broke up with her. Now she's thriving. She's shooting her first episode of television. Nice. And you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, Sir. You okay. I hope I hope basic girl, Miss Ma'am, is, is what you want. I mean, and I, it 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 rarely
1: is, you know. I think <laughs> it's it's oftentimes like it's what they think, and that's not just men. It's like, you know, what you're actually operating from is fear. And mm-hmm. if that is what you're operating from, then how could you stay with the person who is fearlessly going into a field that doesn't have the assurances that they were in before like this this wouldn't work because fundamentally we're not even built the same in the right places i mean i had i had an ex who i remember crying in his arms and saying like i just feel like i'm always gonna be on the grind you know i'm just worried that like this is what it is for me and he was like holding me and he was like yeah i'm worried too no (laughs) no My nigga, what are you saying? <laughs> and I pulled away. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, like, you know, I'm like, I'm with you in, in the worry. And
0: I was like, no, I don't need you to be with me in the worry. I need you to remind me not to worry. Shit, take me home. Oh, but see, here's the thing, okay? is there? There's no manual for how to be the man with a strong woman. There is no manual for that. And so the thing that I think a lot of people don't I mean, you can't spell manual without man. This is true. Um, a lot of times it's a manual in real life because we read them and they don't. They're like, I know how to put this together. No, you don't. No, you, you know don't. What? That's why let me they.
1: Just, let me just take a moment to shout out <laughs> my man because when we got back together, I was like, Do you read? Like, do you read? And he was like, Manuals.
0: <laughs> and I
1: was like, What do you mean? He's this like, This is elevated. Yeah, I read manuals, you know, about things. And, like, he takes really good iPhone pictures. And I was like, how did you... How, why the fuck do you know how to take really good iPhone pics? He's like, because I bought a book called How to Take Good Pics. <laughs> and I read it. I love him. I love him. <laughs>
0: Does he have a clone? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, but, like, okay, but see, this is what I'm saying, though. This is, like, real talk. What... Uh, And again, just speaking in a very heteronormative, like terribly boring, bullshit ass straight way. But I do feel like a lot of women that I talk to who have big jobs or big careers Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, they're just as frightened as women who work anywhere else. They're just as worried about their careers as women who work anywhere else. And they have the, the the more like the um holding up the whole family thing on their back. And at the end of the day, they do want somebody to hold them and tell them it's going to be okay. Like literally, it takes you, it's not money, it's not a car. I don't need emotional. you to give me it's just emotional support. It's just literally, can you just listen and care? And I think a lot of times men don't get told that. They aren't instructed about that. Fair. Like, their dad doesn't tell them their older brothers don't tell them like people don't tell them that that's the key and in fact what happens is they meet the specific woman and then over time she teaches them that that is what she wants but the reality is most women just want to be told at the end of the day it's gonna be cool baby it's gonna be cool it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay you got it you got it and if you don't you don't got it we got it we got it yeah
1: You said something about being the North Star. You said a lot of things about being the North Star. There's been so many times where in my like processing and trying to figure out something, I'd be like, damn, I just wish I had a person who could or I just wish I had a team who could, you know, and like this this idea that there's a solve, that there's something out there that could like solve this. And I had to learn at a certain point that like that may be the case. There might be somebody, but they're not there right now. And I had to be able to tell myself, go deeper within. Like, it's in you. It's in you. It's in you. And I think at a certain point, we that feels like pressure. But then there's another version of that that feels like power, right? Because it's like now I don't feel like I'm a victim or like I don't feel like I'm at a loss. I feel like, no, like I just I, I have the control within me and I don't have to depend on somebody else. I can depend on me. And, you know, to be a showrunner, to be in leadership, like, there's a certain level, it's not arrogance, but it's a confidence that you have to have in yourself that if anyone around you is against that, it's toxic in a real way because it can just take a drop. And once doubt starts to metastasize, yeah. I can see why you would be like, so when you said you wanted to end after season one, what was it about season four that made you be like, I'm I'm about to wrap this up. I don't want to do it.
0: You know, the show was doing incredibly well. And I did not feel...
1: Where were we at in the story in season okay, four? Okay, so
0: season three at the end, Angela arrests goes for the murder of Greg Knox. He goes inside. He's in jail. Yes. When he's in jail, he meets uh, Tommy's father. And then he's in jail, and then he gets out of jail. But by the time he's gotten out of jail, his criminal defense attorney, Terry Silver, is knocking down Tasha behind his back. Um, Shout out to criminal defense attorney, Terry Silver, who was played by my best friend,
1: Brandon Victor
0: Dixon! Exactly.
1: Um, Who you can listen to on side effects of platonic relationships.
0: Um, Go ahead. (laughs) Also, a little nugget for the fans, which is that that part was going to be played by Lorenz Tate. Lorenz Tate wasn't able to do it. And I saw Brandon in Hamilton, and I was like, get me that nigga. Get get him. Get him. Get him. So, anyway, sought after. He was sought after. I loved his diction. Mm -hmm. I also loved that he had so much... um, There was this thing in that character, which is that I wanted someone who could see right through Ghost and his bullshit. And Brandon sees through everyone's bullshit. That is correct. That is a fact. Yes. So I was really lovely, like lovely, great, great human, great human. So uh, the show was doing incredibly well. And there were some changes happening at Stars at the company. And I had started to feel like what I was putting into it, which was everything. And keep in mind, I, this was when my marriage had fallen apart. My marriage fell apart at the end of season three, but that everything that I was putting into it, I wasn't getting out. I wasn't getting the respect or the support that I needed. And I was also like feeling like, why am I running back and forth across the country? Cause I live in LA and I'm not seeing my daughter. And now it's like about custody. And now it's about all these things that it wasn't about. And like, can I actually juggle all of this? If at the end of the day, I don't feel appreciated and I don't feel supported. What would that have looked like? And I
1: ask this because I think a lot of us who aspire and go into these positions, we don't even have the language to ask for what we want. I have been in so many scenarios where like I have a feeling, but I can't like verbalize to the people, like what I want from them. And then it just ends up falling to pieces in your experience. What was the support and acknowledgement that you would have liked?
0: Well, it's so funny because now looking back, it goes back to something else you said, which is I wasn't, I was looking for the validation externally when I really needed to look for it in here. Like if I could have taken care of myself not to use, you know, but I'll just use this framework. My little girl, my inner little girl is always looking for an A, a pat on the back, an extra hug. Yes, Courtney, you did it right. That's why we like each other. We're the same yeah. <laughs> okay, right. So that little girl inside me is like, please, please tell me I'm a good. I did a good job. I did a good job. Is there extra credit? Is there extra yeah. credit? Is there credit. a way I can get? I, I want more points. Mm-hmm. And this comes from the fact that when I was a kid, I would come home and if I got a 92, my mother would say, where are the other eight points? Where are the other eight points? And if I brought home a B plus, it was like a punishment. Right. So
1: my dad came to my play and said, if I knew you only had that many lines, I wouldn't have
0: come. So high five. Okay. Okay. I see you that (laughs) and I raise you. I was a singer. I was a singer all the way through school. And my father did not come to my final concert as a senior in high school because he said I would be embarrassed if you messed up. I see that
1: and I raise you,
0: (laughs) Yes,
1: yes. I sang at my graduation.
0: You have a beautiful voice.
1: Thank you, Courtney Kemp. I sang at my graduation and we were sitting on stage and my friend Michael was like, is that your dad? Because they said all family rise. And my dad had arrived at my graduation, unbeknownst to me, and was standing next to my mother. And then after my graduation, when I went outside to see my mother, my father had left. Yo. And that's it for today. <laughs> My yes. trauma, your trauma. My trauma, your trauma. <laughs> exactly. That was the
0: that was the draw for Uno <laughs> in this particular round. Because, like, I got some other shit, but I don't want to say it publicly. But later, let's do this shit. But yes. yes, but yes. Okay, so that's what I'm saying to you. Is like, why was it season four? Because the validation from being married, marital privilege, which no one talks about, right? The marital privilege of being Courtney Kemp my Agbo, husband, my, my husband. husband, my not just my husband, my black you know super my smart attorney, yep, husband. But losing that, then after that, kind of okay, fine. I'm just going to be about my work. The relearning of who I was, realizing that because I'd been in that relationship for 20 years, we started dating when I was 18. That I actually was really still 19 in a lot of ways, and learning how to grow up. So all of those things together and not having learned what I've learned now, which is that I don't need external validation in that way. I need to actually validate myself. I need to love myself. I need to be able to check in with myself into the the little part of me that says, oh my God, did I do okay? That there's a part of me now that can say, yes, you did. You got it.
1: You got it. That's where I'm at. I'm really working on the, yes, you did. You got it. Part of me.
0: Absolutely. And then when you stop wanting it from outside, two things happen. One, we stop wanting it from outside. Now you are free to ask for what you actually want in terms of compensation. Cause you're not looking for the compensation to mean validation. You're looking for the compensation. Now you can ask for what you want because you don't have to be afraid that they're going to think you're asking for too much uppity negress, blah, blah, blah. Cause you're like, no, I'm worth what I'm worth, but it's not, I ask for what I'm worth. It's I ask for what I'm worth. And if you don't have it, I can just not do it. And if you don't have it, I can just not do
1: it, right? Suzanne De Pass told me the most powerful thing you have in Hollywood is no. Yes,
0: this is true. This is true. That's
1: in life though. I feel like just being free to say no without disappointing others and yourself is like the most liberating shit ever.
0: Check marks across the board, I agree. I will also say that I think that no... The word no and the way you have to say no, it is a measure of music. And what it is, Mm -hmm. is the no is a half note. And then there are two full beats in four, four time. There are two full beats of silence. There are two rests. You don't say no. And this is why no, there's no comma. It's a period. And then it's one, 1000 1000. And I'm telling everyone, every person of color, every LGBT person, uh, every woman who's watching this right now, I want you the next time the answer is no to not explain why. No. One, one thousand, 1,000. Wait. Wait for what happens when you just said no, period. No. No. And the thing is, if you say no, there's no exclamation point. This is the key. You don't come. No. no. Exactly. You just yeah. said no. mm and then you wait while everyone stares at you because you are from a group that's not in power, right? Right. You are from you're so you're supposed to explain yourself or at least say, Well, but I could have done it. You're supposed to serve. Yes. But what if the answer is just no? No. I, I said one of the biggest no's of my career not too long ago. And it was so freeing hmm. because. I had said in the months prior to it, I'm going to say no. (laughs) If this doesn't change, I'm going to say no. If this doesn't change, I'm going to say no. Y'all need to change this or it's going to be, y'all need to do this or, and then I realized I kept asking people to do stuff and they were not going to do it and they didn't care. So then when I said no, I didn't have to explain because I had asked for what I wanted. I'd been clear about what I needed. And they had chosen freely not to provide. So no, deuces. (laughs) I want that to be your
1: driver's license photo. (laughs) Deuces. So refresh my memory. How many seasons of Power have there been? Seven. There were six. There were six seasons. But the six, six was in two, though, right? Six was in two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. One note I want to just say is, I don't know how y'all survived so many night shoots my god for for those listening night shoots are brutal because it's the night shift but it's not you know a lot of jobs the night shift is the more chill shift you know like people take the night shift because it's like it's kind of it's 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 lighter not when you're shooting you're Mm -hmm. you're just as on it's just at night yeah and five thirty can't come fast enough. And the thing about a night shoot, though, is you're like we, we, the sun. It's just the we're we're, we're fighting the sun mm-hmm. and the and, Like I just, we had to shoot a night shoot for a Coachella scene for Insecure, and we had to be dressed like we were at Coachella, but it was forty seven degrees, mm-hmm. and we were in a field, and there were tarantulas in the field. By nope. the way, nope. Okay, and I had. Purchased several pairs of nude tights <laughs> to, to layer. Nothing beats a great pair of legs. Were they in the actual? Yes, like because I was like, the, there's no world in which I can be out here with my legs exposed. And I just remember we were standing outside and it was fucking freezing. And I just overheard Yvonne going. <laughs> You dreamed about this. This is for your dreams. You dreamed about this. This is for your dreams. This is for your dreams. <laughs> it was insane. So I, whenever I watch Power, I just think to myself like, damn, another motherfucking night shoot. God damn. These, these people is committed to this shit happening at night because it's moving in darkness. I mean, it's
0: it's hard to sell drugs at 9 a.m. Do you it's, know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not as easy. I, what I will say, though, and I need to say, is that Joseph Shakora, who plays Tommy... I'm pretty sure that he was outside for most of the run of power. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how many indoor scenes he really ever had. That poor man was outside all the time because he was time. selling drugs, killing people, yeah. driving over people's bodies. Like, he was, I mean, you got to give it to Joe. And then Force, when people watch Force, because it's coming out uh, this Sunday. Yep. Like, Force is at night, too, and Chicago is cold as fuck. And, like, Joe is from Chicago, so, like, I guess maybe he was more used to it, but it is... Oh, I got to give him, I have to give him all the props. And I would, I will tell you guys, a funny story. So I had an actor on the show who, it was cold one night and they had a scene with Joe and they were like, I can't take it. I can't take it. This is too cold. And I was like, this nigga has been out here for the last three nights. Like you're going to have to get through this scene. You're going to have to get through this scene. and You're going to have to get through his coverage and your coverage. And you're going to have to not say anything because he was outside last night and the night before and the night before. Never complained. Joseph Shakura never complained once about the cold.
1: He's also a white man. I mean, this, <laughs> these are
0: facts, but I'm also saying, and, and the thing is, these are facts. He was also always wearing full pants. This is not like he was not in a dress or anything <laughs> like that. But, uh, and we did, and on power, there were always multiple coats. Everyone had like 900 coats on. I mean, I don't know if you, like our coat game is on complete fire. The code game on power is there's peacoats, there's, there's pea coats. snorkels, there's
1: bubble gooses. I mean... There's there's Fendi. There's like
0: full on head to like Frank L. Fleming, who does our costumes, is a genius. But yeah, it's it's a Cody show. We're a winter show. So people have coats. I mean, ghosts be having a trench, honey, like a full London Fog, Burberry. Yes. Mary J. Blige has Monet, Fox. She was wearing at one point. It was it was faux. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. I don't remember. Actually, I don't remember whether it was or not. But like beautiful beautiful coats, beautiful coats, beautiful coats, beautiful coats, beautiful coats, beautiful coats.
1: So walk me through the process of getting power from your brain to it getting sold and you being the role of a showrunner because people don't know how these things happen. And like, we've talked about like, okay, it's the next action. It's the next action. People don't have any idea a lot of times like how this happens. Me included. You just thought like, well, I had a good show and I... Talked about my good show to the right people. And they were like, we're going to put your show on TV. And like, I have never heard of any great show that happened that way.
0: No, because that's not how it happens. Okay, so what happened was (laughs) I was trying to develop a show. uh, I just had a baby. I had my daughter in January of 2011. And then my dad died five weeks later, March 5th, 2011. He died. Thank you. Um, Very complicated complicated, right? complicated to lose someone who was a complicated person. You have a complicated relationship. Um, what I say to people all the time is that it was like the worst shock of my life. And he will never tell my daughter that she's fat. He will never do that. That will it's never happen. Right. So it's complicated. Anyway, he passed away. It was devastating, heart attack, very sudden. Uh, I was working on the good wife at the time. I went back to work and then I started developing get Christie love, which had been one of his favorite shows. And that I ended up making that as a pilot many years later, but I was working on black exploitation. My dad loved exploitation, and I was trying to get close to him through the spiritual realm, like working on that. Mm. And then Mark Canton and 50 cent over here separately, who were also CAA clients at the time. So a lot of people are like, this is magic. No, it's called the creative artist agency being like, aha, you and you guys put you in a room. Right. So Andrew Miller, who was one of my agents, said, hey, 50 and Mark Canton, who's another producer, they have an idea. They want to do a music driven drama. And everybody who knows me knows I'm like a music head, like I'm a music head. So they put me together in the room with them. And I had already been working on a concept because I was trying to figure out how I wanted to talk about um, redemption and being a black man in a suit and what that meant post Obama and all these things that were really about my dad. I was trying to work this stuff out. And then I met 50 and 50. There are so many things I can say about him. But one of the things I want to say that's really important is that he's really brilliant at character. And so he started talking and I would just take notes, you know, because I, my training is as a journalist and I was like, okay, okay. I can get this. I didn't know how to sell drugs. This is the funny shit. I'm from Westport, Connecticut. Okay. So I'm a girl scout. I know how to sell brownies. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, and I know how to
1: sell coupons for a coupon book. Um, like yeah. ads for a coupon book. For Gift wrap. My- I can
0: do that. Yep. <laughs> so, Chocolate bars. Totally. You want a Mint? I got your ass. Mm-hmm. But so we, he was talking and I was like, I was just listening and, and, pu- and putting things together. And um, then I was working, as I said, on The Good Wife and we pitched it a couple places and and they said no. And then I pitched it at stars and uh, they said, yes. And then we had to do the pitch a second time. And we did it the second time. 50 brought a disc of music that he had actually recorded and produced to go along with the show. Like we gave them so much over and above, like, and this is, I I mean, I'm going to say it at that time going in and pitching, you could, if you were mainstream, if you were the guy that everyone was expecting and you know who I'm talking about and I am saying guy, if you were the guy that everyone was expecting. You could go in and you'd be like, this is the idea. And people would be like, let's take a shot on that. Right. 50 and I came in with like, this is five years of series. And these are who all the people are and read this and here's this document. And he had music. Can you, I mean, this man is a superstar, right? Mm-hmm. He's walking in with music and playing it in the pitch. Wow. Because we had to be, what is it? Twice as good to get half as far. Mm -hmm. And I was raised with that all the time. So that was the first thing. Then I wrote this massive outline and then they were like, okay. And in the first version of Power, Ghost was in recovery. He was an alcoholic in recovery. He was going to meetings. He was going to meetings and selling drugs. And he had a sponsor and he was talking to a sponsor about work and he was, it was a, there was a whole overlay of how he would duck into recovery meetings and kind of, and I conceptualized the first season as 13 episodes and each one was a step. Okay. Um, oh, dope. And they said, take all the recovery out of the show. I was like, say what? So the whole form. <laughs> they were like, no one cares about that. A, and B, if you put that in there, you're at a distance from him. Like people who aren't in recovery are at a distance from him. And I said, yeah, but you don't, the spiritual aspect, honestly, of like the fact that he's moving weight, like he's dealing drugs and he has to contend with a religious experience or a spiritual experience. That's what's interesting to me. And they were like, it's not interesting to anyone else. Take that out of the show. I called my agents. I said, I don't know how to do this. They said, try. So I tried. I turned in that first episode. I'm like, oh my God, okay, (sighs) turn in the outline. Then they say, okay, go to script. I write the script, pain, sweat fear, literally have to have a notepad next to me. And I have, I create a character in my head that's saying all the nasty things to me. This will never work. You know, you're never going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Right. And I fire that character every day. I literally have to write a separate running gag. It's a little bit like, um, Steven Root in office space where he kept coming to work, even though he had been fired. (laughs) It's that for me, like that voice Kept coming to work, even though she had been fired. And she was like, you can't do this. You're whack. You're stupid. You're not a good writer. And I had had people tell me that before, um, but whatever. It was fine. But that was stuff that I- It wasn't fine. Don't do that. It was yeah. not fine. It was not fine. True. It didn't stop me. <laughs> Correct. To stop me. Uh, but
1: they were it, still fucked up for doing that. It was that, fucked though. up.
0: It was fucked up. It was fucked up. Uh, I worked for someone once who said, it's too bad you're not a good writer. I'll never forget that. I have forgiven it, but I will, I will never forget it.
1: I will see you that. Yes. 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 <laughs> and, and raise you. You know, if you just had a twin sister and owned a cupcake shop, I would know what to do with you. But this resume here just says that you're a smart, funny black girl that knows about hip hop. And there's just nothing I can do with that.
0: What's nice. The- <laughs> What's nice about that is that that person decided to give you a brand smart, <laughs> funny and black. You know what I mean? Like what's nice about that is like you're not you're incorrect about the outcome, but you're <laughs> correct about your assessment. You know, yeah, your assessment needs <laughs> that on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm sorry. This is a long story, but basically, this it's is a it. podcast, so it's fine. It's fine. Okay, so I wrote the uh, first script, and then they're like, "We like this. Write another." What? So you wrote the script without the. So you 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 took on the
1: challenge of removing. Yes. And you yes. wrote the script without that.
0: And then they said, write episode two. Oh, okay.
1: So they weren't saying, write
0: another version of episode one. No, so, they said, okay. write episode two. And I said, huh? And they said, write episode two. So they why still, you,
1: why were you surprised at what, like, what? Because,
0: this- because normally the process is you write a pilot, they like the pilot, you go to series or they pick it up or whatever. And they were like, we're not sure yet, Black Girl, write episode two. Now the business has changed. Now it's very common for people to want episode two, even episode three. But at that time it was like, what do you mean episode two? So I had this like come to Jesus with my agents. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is an extra hurdle. I don't know how to do uh, another episode without a writer's room. Just try, you can do it. I wrote the second episode and then they didn't decide for a while. They just sat on it and sat on it and sat on What's it. What's a while? Is that like a
1: year? Is it like a couple no, months? No, no, no.
0: It was it was a few months, but I was it was staffing season. So I had to go out and look for jobs because I couldn't just be home and be broke. Yeah. And so I was literally, and this is, this is one of those moments. And I do believe that this moment is about whiteness and blackness. I do believe this. So I was going out for meetings and I got an offer and I got a phone call from Carmi Zlotnick, who was the number two at stars at this time. And I love Carmi, he's a lovely human being, but he said to me, don't take another job. And I said, Carmi, I can't not take another job. You guys either have to say yes, or you have to understand that I'm going to take another job. Like it's not about, I can wait. It isn't about that. Luckily enough, again, I was lucky. I had CAA. I had big agents behind me. I wasn't just this one person. I had other people being like, we are going to get her a job. Oh wait, another offer just came in. Oh wait, another offer just came in. What do y'all want to do? Y'all want to do agenting. something? Agenting. Agenting. I
1: love hearing you say this, though, because for those who are listening to the show that are in this business, sometimes, like, you, again, I always talk about, like, we don't know what, we're at, what to ask for. You don't even be knowing sometimes what your agent
0: should be doing to be agenting. Correct. And my agents were agenting the shit out of this. They were like, what? Oh, you know what? You know what? Actually, we got to call you back because that's, oh, wait, sorry. That's Greg. That's Greg Berlanti on the other line. Oh, he has to up. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hey, Greg. Hold on. Hold on. What? What? You guys going to do it? You going to, what? Oh, you gotta, Okay, great. We'll let her know. Like, literally, it was that, though. I was about to take another job, and I and they were like, They okay, made you a
1: valuable commodity to these people.
0: Right. And then this is the thing that breaks it down even more, which is that it's this thing about you're Black and you're untested. And so they don't know. I was Black and a woman and 35. And back when, I mean, it doesn't feel like it's that long ago to you guys, but this is back in the 2012, 2013, Every young person got a white male showrunner attached. So it was like, you would be your voice. It's your show. You're the creator, but there's a showrunner that's attached to you. They didn't do that to me at Stars. God bless the people at Stars. I got to run my own show. And the reason I got to run my own show is that the characters were Black and Latino other than Tommy. They didn't know how anyone else was going to write it. They couldn't even
1: justify it.
0: They couldn't even figure it out. They couldn't
1: figure out who to put in that role. Right. So did you know that you wanted to be a showrunner or did it just land in your lap and you were like, I'll take it on?
0: No, what what, what happened was I, I worked for some really great showrunners. I worked for Greg, Greg Berlanti. I worked for Robert and Michelle King. I have to give them a lot of credit. Yvette Lee Bowser who created uh, yeah, Living Single. It's, 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 like right. I had a lot of people in my life who were mentoring me and telling me these things. And that's one of the things that I also want to stress to people who are watching who are young hopefully you reach out to a person of color and they help you. But the people who help you don't always have to be of color. They don't always have to look like you. The people that help you might just be people who fucking believe in you. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I have to say, again, you this know. Is
1: the truth, the facts, the reality. People don't like when I say that, but it is what it is. But it's
0: true. And I will just say, again, Greg Berlanti looked at me in my face and said, you have it. You got it. And now being a showrunner at this time, I know when I meet people, when I meet young writers, I know who has it and who doesn't have it. They might be like a a career co-EP or something like that. They might have a great career. But there's some people who have this thing, this thing that's alive in them. And you just you gotta get the fuck out of the way. When you know somebody has that creative force, you're like this, Amanda. So people have creative force and it's coming out of every pore. And you know, when you have it, you know how hard it is to have it. You know what struggle it is to not be able to put that back in the box. To feel like you are always the jack in the box, and it's like but up, but like it pop, is it's happening. And you can't always put it back in the bottle to so when you see someone who's that level of creativity and you see them like. They're just learning. They're just taking those baby fledgling steps, but you know, they've got this thing. That's so exciting. I had that in Greg. I had that in the Kings in a lot of ways. I had that in you, that people who invested in me. So when it was like, you're going to run the show yourself. I wasn't like, I don't know how to do that. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. Okay. And I, again, I have to give my ex-husband credit. He was like, cause he's in um, business affairs. He was like, I see these jokers do this shit all the time. They got them you do got <laughs> Right. But I will also say, and this is a while ago, I had two Ivy League degrees. I'm from Connecticut. I speak a certain way. There were so many things about who I was and how light skin privilege. There were so many things about who I was and how I showed up in the world that made people feel safer that mm. I wasn't going to like run with their money. And then, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, just like smoke it, just like take the money and just like smoke yeah. that shit. Because what the reality is about being a showrunner, you're being asked to be trusted with money. People think it's about storytelling. This shit is not about storytelling. The shit is about money. The shit is about, we're going to give you, in the case of, okay, I'll just say, I'll just use a show that I, I have run. I won't say which one. If we're going to give you $10 million an episode, then we're going to give you $100 million for the season. Don't fuck it up. Don't fuck it up. Nah, fuck it up, pa. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> Like that is the the reality is at the end of the day, it's an investment and they want to return on their investment. Right. That's what they want. And they have to trust that you
1: mm-hmm. are going to be at the helm in their best interest.
0: Yes. And so what that means is you write a script. The script is 58 pages long. You think, well, I have a 58 minute runtime, but no, you have two huge chase sequences with multiple extras. You have a sex scene, which takes longer to shoot than other scenes. You've got a couple of scenes that are difficult locations. You know what you have to do? You've got to cut that script down to 51 pages. Now you've got to figure out how to do that because you're the showrunner. You have to reorganize that script, retell that story, figure out how to do that. So you stay in budget. See, people think it's cute. Like, you're just making shit up. You know what I mean? it's so funny a lot of times people will say things to me like well why did you kill this character why did you kill this person because the nigga was not available on the wednesday i needed the nigga to be at the show so now they did because that's what happened because i couldn't (laughs) i didn't have the budget like they don't understand that it's like standing on your head and then scratching your ass and chewing gum show running it's about story it's about psychology making sure that you take care of people yeah
1: management management You were about to say with actors before I cut you off. I had a producer tell me one time after I had had a situation where I was urged on set to take a shot of apple cider vinegar, (laughs) and I had never done so before, and it, like, went up my nose, and it, like, rendered me incapable of shooting. So that's a crisis. That's a crisis. It rendered me incapable of shooting for, like, 45 minutes. And it was, like, a small, like, show that I had to host. It was on Music Choice. Like, I literally just had to, like host and be like, next up. Da, da, da. But I like, it inflamed my membranes. I like couldn't get it together for five minutes. And when I did get it together, it was like, okay, we've been back on set. I handled it. And later, one of the people in charge said to me, you know, my job as a producer is not to baby you. My job is to get a show done. And she was like, that day, you really were expecting us to, like, look after you in a way and it wasn't what we should have been expected to do. And I carried that with me for a while thinking because she was a senior to me. So I carried that with me for a while and I would be on sets and I would not feel like I can ask for things. I would not feel like I can, you mm-hmm. know, request things because I was told, like, no, that's not our job. And it it took, it took being on a set where someone gave a damn for them to verbalize, like, no, you're the talent. Yeah. Like, you're, you're a part of this, like, we, we gotta take care, like, the crew needs to be cared for, but you also need to be cared for. Like, we're all here together to make this shit happen. Like, Why would that not be a vital part of the job? And I was like, I mean, it makes sense.
0: (laughs) It does. But the thing is also, no disrespect to that person who said that to you. I'm glad you didn't name them so I can say the fucked up thing I'm about to say. That's why he, she, they were working at Music Choice because they didn't understand talent. So like... That's why they were doing, if they, I mean, I don't know what their additions were and I'm not, no hate to music choice at all. But what I'm saying is if you want, if you're producing and ultimately what you want to do is get that Emmy or get whatever that is, like, if you're going to treat your talent like shit, if you're going to say something like that to someone after the fact, when they have like a, you know, a natural biological reaction that they can't control. See...
1: There I'm, is not something. Having,
0: I'm not having a tantrum. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's like, if you're like broke up with your boyfriend and you're crying so hard, you can't come to set. Okay, yeah, you know what, bitch? Listen, you can cry on your, other t- on your own time. I would never even say it that way. But I will tell you, I have had actors who in, whose entire lives were falling apart outside of set, whose lives were falling apart, who came to set and hit their mark and knew their lines and gave a performance because it is a profession. My job is to then go into the dressing room and say, are you good? Mm -hmm. Because you just gave me that performance. Are you good? I don't, or before the performance, go in and say, are you okay? One thing that I will definitely say is that some of the parts that I write, I've learned this because I've been told by actors, some of the parts I write are really hard to play. Yes, what I was about to say that. They're really hard. And when
1: you play them, if you do it properly, it can fuck with you.
0: Yes. And I have had especially, I mean, I don't want to say the actors, but I've had several actors come to me and say, it's really hard wearing this. It's really hard wearing this person. And I'm like, that's a violence I'm doing to you that I don't even know about because I'm just like, hey interior your <laughs> apartment <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you shoot someone and it's like but you just made me murder like nine people
1: like well it's real i mean you know even when it's it's something for directors to know too right because it's like don't make me do this scene over and over again if i don't have to yeah. like i mean i remember when i was doing um the scene at the end of season four of Insecure where Tiffany is in the hotel room and they're like looking for her the whole time and she's like having a postpartum breakdown and Derek comes and I had to cry. And it's like a very somber scene and Prentice came and was like, you you good? You good? And I was like, nigga, I was acting. Of course I'm good. (laughs) But I appreciated his attentiveness as because he was directing that episode I appreciated his attentiveness to just the fact that like sometimes you dip in those spaces and like it can be a real mindfuck to come back to yourself like Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. know you have it's like in season five like we had a scene where I had to cry on this bed and it's like to get to the crying particularly in a comedy like to get to crying like you have to do a thing in your head like you have to yeah. mind fuck yourself yeah and we had to sh- we we had to shoot it so many times and it started fucking with me because it was just like
0: yeah
1: i don't want to stay in the place that i have to stay in to do this like any longer can we just you know can we can we cut <laughs> can we do we get coverage do we get the coverage do we get the coverage yeah and we got it but it's it's a consciousness that i feel like a lot of people may not have about the person who's on camera
0: I agree with that and what I will, I'll yes and you and I'll say that I have often matched a director that an actor really loved when the actor has really hard work in that episode Mm. so that they feel safe and taken care of or or will have, you know, a woman director when certain things are going on. Or I'll be on set or I used to like be on set and be like, okay, are you good? And I often would share and disclose where this thing was coming from in my life. I've written a Mm. lot about my relationships. I've written a lot about my family. It doesn't look like my family because it's played by other people and nobody's names are Herbert and Dolores, right? Everybody's names are Ghost and Tasha and Angela and whatever. But I've written about a lot of experiences that I've gone through. So I would be able to go to set and be like, listen, I'm crying with you. There is a scene between Mm -hmm. Ghost and Tasha in the series finale where he's fighting with her and he's saying, she says he's a monster and he says, I didn't kill a single mom. And she says, did you ever love me? Did you ever really love me? And I think that there's a lot of things when a marriage falls apart, where that's a real thing that people want to ask and never get to ask. Right? They never get to find that out.
1: And let me just say, you wrote the shit out of them final episodes. It didn't. Thank you. That doesn't always, that's not always how it goes.
0: The reason Power ended when it ended is that I didn't want to write a bad show. And I was out of story for that. Mm. I was done with Ghost's story with people. I mean, nobody likes this. So I'll get a bunch more hate. But the reality was that story was over. If that man actually made it to the lieutenant governor's, office, if he made it there, having sold all these drugs and killed all these people, how was that going to make any sense in the real world in a show that was grounded and was about consequences and the price you pay? The original name of the show was The Price. And it's a line in the AA 12 and 12. I'm not in the beverage program, but it's a line in that that, that says, pain is the price of admission to a new life. I will say that again. Pain is the price of admission to a new life. So Hmm. I was writing about ghost going through pain because he needed, it was the price of admission to a new life. He lost his daughter. Do you need to stop fucking with these drugs? You lost your kid. Okay. Do you need to stop fucking with all this shit? No, I will rise above. I will through sheer will make myself into a totally different version. That is a pretend bullshit because everybody else has seen I'm a murdering son of a bitch. I cheated on my wife. I left her. I expected my kids to be cool with the fact that I left her. Like I did all sorts of crazy ass shit and then decided not to explain myself. Right. And then at the end, I was like, Tariq, you'll regret killing me. Really? You regret killing anybody? Like I, I don't know. I guess I'm
1: just No, th- the only version of that ending with him getting what he wanted would be if it were about a white man.
0: And in that case, it would be Ozark. Oh, See, okay, so here's the, and I will, <laughs> I will say this. I was writing about race the whole time I was writing about race. I was writing about ghost bobbing and weaving and ducking and diving through all the minefields and the minefields that you have to tiptoe around and the hurdles you have to jump to be Black in America and succeed. And at the same time, I was writing about the fallacy that he told himself, which is that he had to sell drugs in order to support this change, when in fact he could have just decided to change. I think that was what I was writing about because we always say, well, I'll do this after I'll fix this after I'll go. No, no. What if you start changing today? What if you start changing today? And so that was what I was writing about. It doesn't mean I'm not making a commentary about whether or not ghost is dead and all that shit. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the pure storytelling of having in six ten him be like, no one can stop me. The arrogance of thinking that no one can stop you.
1: 610 is episode 10 of season six.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that's the one that's all Ghost. That's all him. Yep. And Omari fucking shredded that performance. He shredded it. He burned it. He murdered it. He killed it in the fields. You know what I mean? He, mm-hmm. he, and it was just, you know, it was Ghost at his most beautiful and his most powerful. And at his most brutal and angry, remember this is the episodes where he slams Tariq up on, you know, onto the table. And he's like, you little motherfucker, you're going to turn yourself in. Like, remember, this is who this was. His desire to make it, to finish the job, to get his plan checked off. It made him abuse the people he loved. And I think that was so important. People miss it, but that was what I was trying to write about. I think a lot of people got it, though. I mean, they saw a ghost when he was wild and he was like screaming at Tasha, you know.
1: Do you feel like you abused the people you love in your quest to be where you are now? Or did you at any point feel that way?
0: I feel like a lot of neglect, for sure. Focus on work. Have you forgiven yourself for that yet? Um, yeah, because I, I made a living immense to myself and I've shifted. You know what I mean? There's a lot of nights that I play a lot of games of Uno. Or Catan. Do you know what I'm saying? Or Monopoly. And I am a motherfucker when I play Monopoly for sure. But like,
1: (laughs) don't be like Will Smith. Will Smith talks about how playing Monopoly in his book. He talks about how he was playing Monopoly and ruined his whole marriage playing Monopoly. And all the kids was like, we're playing for
0: love. Why are you playing for Boardwalk? But because that happens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I lost my brother in July. He died. July 28th and he was just vicious with board games especially uno so i do that in his memory mm-hmm. but yeah now i do kind of i go yeah it's okay i'm going to just spend this time with my kid i'm just going to be here with her right and it's he okay pivoted. yeah i pivoted but part of pivoting was also deciding i am no longer going to be running this power universe like those last 2 years 2020 and 2021 nah nah Mm -mm. trying to get three shows up and mounted during a pandemic. I was not my best self, one. I was falling apart. I don't think any of us weren't our best selves. And I kept saying all the time, well, I'm grateful to be working because there were so many people out of work. I'm grateful to be working. I kept saying that. I'm grateful to be working. And I think I was so focused on trying to be grateful to be working. I was working myself into a fine powder and the level of stress from my kid being in remote school. My mother is 78. So they were like, "Old oh, Black people are dying every yeah. day. And yeah. I was like, uh, you have to stay in the house and I'm not going to breathe anywhere near you. I, when my, I got the first shot in my mother's arm, I cried in the parking lot because I had been so afraid she was going to die because so many older Black people were dying. So many of them. Mm. So the pandemic made me totally nuts. And I'm trying to get ghosts on the air. And I'm trying to get, at that time I was trying to get influence on the air. I was trying to get, Force on the air. I was trying to get Raising Canaan on the air and it was like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Cause I don't want to die. Cause I don't want to die. Cause I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Like, and no television show is worth your death. You know, I passed out on set What? ghost season one. I passed out on set ghost season four. I had to uh, get an iron IV because I had lost, I was, my body had stopped making enough blood, Amanda. And I, I'm not trying to be dramatic. What I'm saying is this job, if you go, if you believe in grind culture and you subscribe to grind culture and you decide the most important thing is that like some, it's like, no, it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is being here for my kid. You know, that's the most important thing being here for my kid.
1: I just love hearing these epiphanies because I feel like our generation, like, it's taken us to our 40s to get there. And I hope for the younger folks, like, they arrive sooner, you know?
0: I, I would say that some of the younger folks are like, but I showed up. Well, that's another podcast, Courtney. I mean, that's a whole other <laughs> the a- side effects of, yeah. It's a, a very
1: extreme counter to this grind culture, right? Yeah, Which is... I'm here, so why isn't everything be bestowed upon me?
0: And I will say, this is why sometimes when people say to me, I want my own show. I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> because you want to go home at 3 p.m. Because you want that if you don't feel like showing up today, you don't have to show up today. Correct. You want, if Ray Ray and TT and Naja are going away for the weekend, you want to be able to go with them. And so if that's what you want, you don't want your own TV show. And that's okay. The thing is, if you don't subscribe to Grind Culture, you can say, I think that Weekend Away is important for your journey. Enjoy the crystals. Enjoy all the things y'all are going to do. Smoke as much as you want. Mm -hmm. But just know having your own show on the air is not part of your plan. That's not your plan. You know, your plan is I'm going to do what I feel like doing.
1: And that's a different situation. (laughs)
0: <laughs> we haven't talked about that separately. <laughs> Uh Just like we haven't talked about men or dating. <laughs> the
1: screen. So we have a segment before we go. We have a segment here called The Script where we give our listeners, uh, you know, just some supplementary materials that they can check out to support our conversation. So are there any books? Are there any shows? Are there any um documentaries? Are there any k- accounts you feel like folks can sink their teeth into if they are interested in being a showrunner or if they are, if they're even considering going down the path of creating their own show?
0: Yes. Okay. Well, first of all, follow me. at Yes. Because <laughs> yes. I talk about it. But I would say, and this is controversial, Jerry Seinfeld has a series called A Comedian's in Cars Getting Coffee, Mm -hmm. which even if you don't like Jerry himself, it is about (laughs) creativity. It is about, he asks good questions about creativity a lot of the time. Even if you only want to watch the black ones, which are the only ones my mother will sit through. My mother is like, is that Jamie Foxx? I want to watch that one. But if you go and you watch, watch Eddie Murphy's, Watch, watch Gary Shandling. Watch Gary Shandling. Watch that show. The creativity aspect is the part that's really important.
1: Watch the Mel Brooks one.
0: Oh, my God. Watch them all. Watch them all. I mean, and- honestly,
1: I'm trying to think. There's only one, and I'm not even going to say which one it is, but there's only... The only ones that aren't good are the ones where he doesn't know the comedian. Yeah. And it's clear that this was a network, a Netflix setup. <laughs>
0: It's, it, there's one where he does Melissa Villa Senor, which is like the funniest thing of all time. I find that funny, not intentionally, by the way, because he's like, wow, you're really cute. And she's like, not sure what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> but it's still funny. They go to the Museum of Food. Anyway, yeah. that show is really, it's a, in a weird naked way, it's about creativity in a way that shows about creativity never are. Because he's just talking about the crap. I am a, like, I'm, I live vicariously through you. Like I want to be a stand-up comedian so badly. That would be so amazing if I could do that. And I can't, I can't do it. Um, why? But why can't I do it?
1: Yeah. You're not showrunning running right
0: now. Um, because, well, first of all, I got fired off of Bernie Mac for not being funny. So I have this thing in my mind that I'm not funny. Right. I have this thing that I'm not funny, but also.
1: I'm I laugh all the time. Like you're talking. I laugh. You're texting. I laugh.
0: I don't talk to people who aren't funny. I've removed that from my life. But, you know what? And that is a, that's a huge compliment. And I have had a couple people tell me, "Nah, bitch, you're funny. You're funny. Like you're real funny." But I don't. I don't you're know. Huge.
1: The real thing about stand up is just like being able to be unflappable because there are going to be times where you say something that you know is funny, yeah. and the people don't laugh, and not letting that make you think I'm not funny. And right. that's the, that's the hurdle that it takes. And once you get to a point where you can. They not laugh and you're like, oh, that, oh man, that sucks for y'all. You just missed out on such a good joke. (laughs) Let me give y'all another opportunity to laugh. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh,
0: Okay, I'll say it again. You stay there. I'll just stay up here. I'll I'll say it again. No, okay, so I want to tell people to do that. I want to tell people to read The 48 Laws of Power. Don't not read that book. And that's not because I want you to be evil or mischievous. It's because other people, especially in my business, are doing fucked up shit to you every day. Yes. And that is a super important book. It's super important to have your spirituality together, whatever that is, whatever those spiritual books are. There's a book by Young Pueblo called Clarity and Connection. We sh- y'all should read that as well. That's Y-U-N-G, Pueblo.
1: That sounds like a rapper.
0: He's not. Okay. He's like a spiritual dude. In terms of other books about showrunning, the truth is you need to read scripts, TV scripts. So there are some scripts that you can get easily, like the Fraser scripts come in a book, uh, ER Fine-pailed. scripts. Seinfeld, West Wing, those are, those are easier, but you know what? Like you would spend hundred dollars on a meal, spend hundred dollars on buying scripts. Cause there's a lot of scripts that are available online that you have to pay for, pay for them. Do you know what I mean? Like really read the pilot scripts of things. And then if you have to, if you really want to diagram them, look at what they look like put on index cards and see how people are blending stories and how the, the disparate stories in a pilot with different characters mm. are coming together. Uh, watch Southside. Southside is a great TV show. It's on HBO Max right now. Shout to Diallo. Yes. Okay. And the thing is, structurally, as a writer, I was watching the show and I was like, oh, shit. These niggas know what they're doing. Like, structurally, there's some really cool shit in there. Because what they do is they surprise you. They keep surprising you. They keep going oh, no, this is how this is going to go. And it's, it's going to go left, but not in the way you thought it was. And I love that, right? Like, there's just... I like to be surprised. Mm-hmm. I like to be surprised. I was watching Finding Magic Mike and I was surprised you were on there. I was like, oh, shit. Okay, I'm going to watch <laughs> was, this episode. That was the funnest money I have ever made in
1: my life. I was like, I'm getting paid to be here. I'm getting paid to be here.
0: It was, it was amazing. <laughs> Although I really, really am angry they picked the person they picked. I don't know why they picked him. Who did I, they pick? They didn't pick Nate, who was my pick. They picked, like, Was Nate the chef? Nate, I don't, he was the one who played drums. He was biracial, abs. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Oh, yeah, Nate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like abs. I like They,
1: picked Jimmy. they picked Jimmy. Jimmy was Jimmy. the track runner?
0: Yeah, they picked
1: him You know yeah. why they picked Jimmy? Why? Because his story... Probably was deeper. Do you know the backstories of them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And That's like true. you know, true. the whole premise of the show. I, I, I'm promoting Magic Mike because I really, yes, lo- I it, really loved. I really loved that they figured this out. They took something that seems so like surface, uh-huh. and they made it deep by saying this is a show, a competition show about men who have lost their magic. Not a show about, like, can you whine on people Like, who has the best dancing ability. It's about men who've lost their magic and using the structure of this hit show to help them reconnect to it. So, like, with body positivity and with camaraderie and with encouragement and all this stuff. And that guy, you know, he had, like, he like kept trying to go to the Olympics and he yeah, like put it and it was like his last opportunity and he didn't make it and you know he was depressed I mean it was like a very they had a whole lot of shit going on there was like somebody who got in a fight on the set and they had to get kicked off yes. like, I mean there was drama y'all drama
0: <laughs> but I but if, if they do a season two I really hope that you host it no shade to Adam but like <laughs> I was like, this would be so much more fun if if Amanda was hosting this. Because what I think is for me, it's like I wanted a female host who was funny. Mm, You know what I mean? I I wanted, you know what I mean? I I get why he did it, because he had
1: gone through it. Yeah. But you know. Adam's hilarious. He's also just so super duper chill. You know what I mean? That it's like he's very unfazed. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Like all this is going on around him, he's like, yo, that's crazy. But he's lovely. And let me just say, now that this has anything to do with our interview, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had because it was one of the most efficiently run productions mm. I have ever. I was only there for two days, but in them two days, the efficiency, honey. Mm-hmm. Ba, 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 ba. And everybody just had an energy of like, positivity like it it, and i don't want to say that it was like like hey guys like it wasn't mickey it was just everyone was like happy to be there and that's like a rare space you know it's a rare it's a rare situation and so i really like i commend them for putting that show together and just the energy that they because it comes from the top down
0: yes and i wanted to say something off of that actually and i don't know if you're going to use this part at all but if you aspire to be a writer an actor a producer a director if you aspire to do something in the entertainment business and right now you're at your day job Mm-hmm. Just remember what it feels like to be at your day job, because there are going to be days when you get into this business, and I say when, not if. There are going to be days when you get into this business that you stop being grateful and you start being like, "Man, Crafty is whack." Today. <laughs> Man, where is my, you know, where's my driver at? You know what I mean? You're going to have those days, and the thing that's important is don't forget your day job. I worked at Barnes and Noble for like a hundred years. And I still have my Barnes and Noble name tag because a bitch is not trying to forget. This is what I'm saying. This is, I wish I had it like close by. I don't, but like, this is what I'm saying because I think people can, that's why Dwayne, the rock Johnson DJ, it's called seven bucks productions because he only had seven bucks. He has down to $7 and he was like, okay, I got to turn my life around. And that's what people don't. They see the glamour, they see the glitz, they see all that. They don't understand that, like, you can never forget where you came from because that's how you stay grounded and in gratitude.
1: The last dose. Thank you, Quentin Kemp, for all that you have shared with us on this podcast, all that you have shared with us on our screens. And I look forward to seeing what. What you want to share with us next. And listen, at this point, you don't even got to do anything else. If you were like, you know what? I want to open a scuba shop in <laughs> Maui in this new phase of my life, <laughs>
0: like that would be completely acceptable. <laughs> I will tell you what I really want is to work with you, write you a great part, write you some <laughs> badass shit to do. I want to be a good mom. I want to create more jobs for people of color. Mm
1: -hmm. I want
0: to create more jobs for women, for LGBT folks. I just want to help everybody get where they need to go and I'd be a better version of myself. That'd be great.
1: Well, you're on your way.
0: Thank you. I hope so. I hope so. I got my, my, my flexi rod game is getting better.
1: I was like, she put that together. Me and ah. the flexies don't—they don't flex. When I use the flexi rod, it's—it's it's a problem. It's really like, why did you? I, and I always revisit it. Like, it's gonna work this time. <laughs> this time, it's gonna work. My
0: guess is that if, with your hair texture, you'd have to actually blow your hair out straight to make it work. You couldn't just do it natural.
1: Even that, it comes out as these like really tight candy curls that oh, just no. are not—not It's the jazz. Not the jazz. <laughs> 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 it's not the jazz.